Let us pray. Our Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege we have tonight to study your word. We trust you with these studies, that by your spirit you will teach us, guide us, and help us, that your will be fulfilled tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are looking at the book of Galatia. We started to study that book of Galatia, and we're at Galatia chapter 3. We want to finish 3, and we want to finish chapter 4. Now, the purpose of this is it will help you to grow your roots in Christ by having better understanding of the gospel of grace. Every Christian needs to grow in the knowledge of the gospel. The enemy's main attack line is to attack your faith in Christ. And don't joke with it because he is doing a lot of terrible things in the life of many Christians. To attack your faith in Christ or confuse you, confuse your basis of relationship with God, which is faith in Christ alone. He wants you to shift it to your self-righteousness and to your goodness. And they realize that you're always falling short. And because you're always falling short, he accuses you and then and demolishes your faith right there. Destroys your faith. You can have boldness before God. You can't do nothing. And there's never going to be a time when you are so-called self-righteousness. We'll be 100%. It's not going to happen. Forget it. So if you're not solid and grounded in your basis of relationship with God through faith in Christ alone, you're not going to make much progress. If you don't understand righteousness, you're not going to make much progress. You're going to make a lot of effort with very little result. So it's important that we listen to this because Paul is putting up a very strong defense. The most powerful defense that we've seen is this book of Galatia, where he's defending the gospel of grace that we are saved by grace and that God accepts us. God puts us in right standing with him when we accept the sacrifice of Calvary, not by what we do. So here we go. In Colossians 2, 7, it says, let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overcome with thankfulness. Let your roots grow down into Christ. Let your life be built on Christ. Because the enemy, like I said, will attack your faith there. Then your faith will grow strong. In the truth you are taught. Christ is the truth. He is the word. And you will overflow with thankfulness as you see result of all of that in your life. Now, let's go into the study. Now, we stopped at chapter 3, verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21 said, Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. That is Galatians 3, 21. Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. If the law can restore us into right standing with God, after we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if obeying the law could pay for our sins, wash away our sins, give us new life, take away this old life and give us new life so that we can now be in right standing with God, say, then we should have achieved it by obeying the law. But the scripture declared that we are all prisoners of sin. I want you to note that. It didn't say we are prisoners of Satan. I said, and it didn't say we are prisoners of the law. 
He said we are prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom from that prison only by believing in Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying is, is there a conflict between God gave the law and here God gives the promise? No, there's no conflict at all. What God did is what the law could not achieve, what the law could not deliver in bringing man back to him, God fulfilled it through the promise. Since the law could not make us righteous and bring us back to God in the right standing, God fulfilled that need for us to be in right standing with him through our faith in Christ Jesus. And then as we study, you find that the law has its own purpose, very important purpose, but it's not in providing righteousness for mankind. Now, Let's look at this issue of being prisoners of sin. We, are, we have all sinned huh? and are under judgment of death by the Lord. The soul that sinners shall die. That's, you can't erase it. It's just right there. And because we have all sinned, we are under judgment of death. So the sin has just really, really grabbed us onto, in, into prison. And we needed now to be saved from that judgment. We needed to be delivered from that judgment that sin brought us into. Number two is that look at um, Romans 8.3. The Lord of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinfulness. So the Lord of Moses couldn't bring us out of this divine judgment that we were all in. For all have sinned. So if we have sinned, and remember that it's not just that you acted, but the sin of Adam brought death. So we were in real bad shape, absolute bad shape. But the Bible says, and the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our flesh. The, the more we're talking about saving us, the more we are even not perfect in our ways. So God now did what the law could not do by sending Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to take our place, die for us, so that in doing that, God can provide us right standing with him and bring us back to himself just by faith in Christ Jesus. So they are not in conflict, but they have their purposes. And we're going to see again the purpose of the Lord. Now look at how Jesus set us free from the prison of sin. So you know that it's not what you could have done yourself. In Romans 6 verse, verse 14, I think. 14. Romans 6 14. We don't have scriptures up there. Romans 6, 14. Okay, we know, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So you see, that's how Jesus set us free. He says, I think it's Romans 6, verse 14. No, no, no. Verse 
6. Try verse 6, let me see. We know you have verse 6. It's verse 6, yes. We know that our, sin, our old sinful selves, we are crucified with Christ. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. It's verse 6. Romans 6, verse 6. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. You see how we were saved? Verse 7, put verse 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So we were slaves to sin. So only through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ were we set free. It's not something you and I could have achieved. It's the mystery of the wisdom of God that only through death of our Lord Jesus Christ that we were set free from the power of sin and from the prison of sin. We need to know this. Every Christian needs to know this. That's why Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free, then you are free indeed. The law could not set us free from this prison of sin. Could not set us free from our the sinfulness. Could not set us free from our natural, our natural sinful nature. It was when we came to Christ that the, that old nature was crucified and God gave us a new nature and then God cleansed us of all our righteousness with the blood of Jesus and paid the penalty of death hanging over our head and so we can now come in right standing with God. It's called being made righteous. Being made righteous is that God accepts you, that you are now in right standing because your sins is paid for. You, the old nature of sin is taken away. You now have a new nature of God which has the, the, the life of Christ in you. And then the blood has washed away all the records of your sin. So there's no more problem between you and God. The Bible said that Jesus mediated that peace by his death. Every Christian must know this, must be grounded in this, must believe this. Otherwise, otherwise, you'll be trying to enter through the window. Jesus is the only door. So, so um, in verse 23, we continue to look at the purpose of the Lord. Then why did God really give the Lord then? Oh, very important, very important role the Lord has played, but not to make you righteous. In verse 23, Galatians 3, 23 to 25, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept by the faith which will afterward be revealed. Verse 24, therefore, the law was our tutor, to bring us to Christ. You see, as a role, it's not your Savior, but he brings you to the Savior. Bring us to Christ that we might now be justified by faith. But after faith has come now, we no longer need the, the law. We don't no longer need the tutor. So the moment you come to Christ, you are no more under the law. You're under the Spirit of God. If you are led of the Spirit, you are no more under the law. We're done. So the law was our God to point out to us what evil is. It's like a sign that says, hey, there is, a, there, is a, there, is a, there is a ravine here. Puts a sign. So it showed us what sin is. If we did not know what sin was, we could be walking blindfolded. But really the main thing is that if we didn't know what sin is, we would not know that we are, we are sinners. The law was given to reveal to us that we are sinners. 
It wasn't given to make us righteous. Though if you keep all of it, you'll be acceptable. Nobody. So the law was given. Its purpose is not to make us righteous. It's to, prove, to show us what sin is. Look at scripture. Look at scripture. Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Of course, no flesh. But this is what the law does. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. If the law didn't define sin, you and I will never know that we have sinned. How can you know what you don't know? It's the law that defines sin that says to mankind, you're a sinner. This is sin. I really, oh, man, I've been doing this. I've been doing that. Look at what Paul said in Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I will not have known sin except through the law. For I will not have known covetousness unless the law has said, that shall not cover. So if the law didn't reveal what sin is, and you're telling somebody you, you, you are fallen, for all have sinned, he's wondering what is sin? What, what sin? What is sin? I don't know what you're talking about. So the law is, is, is irrelevant. It's to reveal to us that this is God's laws. This is God's standard. This is the way God wants us to live. So the law pointed sin out to us. The Bible said, by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law doesn't give you the knowledge of God. I have said it over and over and over. Every Christian focusing on the law, we never know God. We'll be defeated. We'll be fearful. He's walking in the realm of the natural. The law will never give you a revelation of Christ. The law will give you a revelation of sin and teach you and show you that, oh, my God, when the Bible says, oh, I have sinned, you say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because now we know what sin is. So in verse 24, he said, now we know what sin is. We simply realize we have, we have all sinned, and that leads us now to seek help. It leads us to seek help. <laughs> where, where do we run to? We run to Christ. To be saved from this thing. That, that, that is, that have, have, have us in bondage, have us in prison. Man, so this is what, the day I got saved, I cried like a baby. Real cry, real genuine, I wept from the bottom of my heart. Because I, it's like I saw my life like a, a film in one second. It was so terrible. I could not believe I was that kind of person. You see, that's the thing about iniquity and sin. You don't know yourself. <laughs> you, you really, you think you're good. No, none is good, though. We, we think we are good. You know, so when, when I saw that kind of tape in one second, I could not believe I was that kind of human. I, if somebody told me that, I would not believe him. And that broke my heart. It really broke my, I went to my wife, I was crying and begging her to forgive me. I said, how do you live with this animal? Man, I said, I was an animal. I didn't know I was this kind of human being. Very, very pompous, so proud. You know, my way is the highway thing. All those kind of stuff. It broke my heart. And I was at that altar with all my heart. I, the thing led me, I'm going. Because I need help from this thing. So the law, when we see, when we see what the law defines as sin, 
Then when the Bible says, oh, I've seen you, you say, yeah, I have. Then what is left, it, it's that knowledge that points you to the Savior. And you go and say, I need to be saved. So the Lord was our God, pointing us to, to areas you don't go, areas you don't go, areas, but we won't anyway, areas you don't go. And then showing you that, hey, you know you go there, so you're a sinner. He said, we go to Christ for salvation. In verse 25, say, but after Christ has come on the scene, through whom righteousness is promised, right standing with God is promised, restoration to uh, right standing with God is promised. We don't need the law, law anymore because we've come to the final full stop, Christ. Galatia 3.11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Now we're living by faith. We don't need the law anymore. And the law is not of faith. And it, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But the law is not of faith because it's what men do. So you need to come to what God is now doing. You come into the realm of living in the spirit, depending on what God is now doing, what he did for you in Christ, and what he continues to do until you see him face to face. And remember, without him, we can do absolutely nothing. Nothing is nothing. You know, sometimes we think I'm the one. I said something on Sunday, and God has been teaching me on that I say, faith is not of human will. And, I, and the Lord was teaching me, saying, no, you're right. He said, you know, you're perfectly right. He said, did you see what my son said? Not my will, but your will. He said, every act of faith is divine will in action. It's divine will that God, by his intervention and revelation, subjects your will to his will. Otherwise, the natural will of man is to walk in the natural. It's not of he that will it, of he that run it, but God that showed it mercy. Our salvation is not even of the will of man, it's the will of God. So sometimes you think, I'm the one, you know, it's my will. No. The Bible says, in the death of my power, they shall be willing. Without him, we can will nothing, can do nothing. Zero, zero. Absolutely zero. Man, absolutely zero. So we depend on what he did for us on the cross and depend on what we are kept by the power of God, we are guided by his spirit, we are taught by his spirit, we have illumination by his spirit, we are healed by his spirit, we are provided for by his spirit. Everything is done by him. We're just a bunch of receivers. So we live by faith. That's the way we live, by trusting in the provider source of life, our helper, the power that keepeth us. We live by complete trust in him. Paul said, it's no longer I that live it. We are dead people. How much will does a dead man have? A dead man is a dead man. We all live by this Christ that lives in us to will, to do, to will and to do, to will and to do his good pleasure. It's Christ that lives in us. So let's come to chapter 4. Very interesting. Chapter 4 is very interesting. Extremely interesting. <laughs> this is really very interesting. In chapter 4, verse 1, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had, they have 
they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with, it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves. Watch the appropriate language the Spirit of God is using. We were like slaves to the basic spiritual, spiritual principles of this world. Spiritual, motivated by a spirit. Principles of this world. The basic principles of this world. Paul, Paul you know, I preach on this and I now realize that I have not been really preaching on it accurately and rightly. I've been preaching on this, you know, you have to mature and grow. If you don't grow, you are a baby. Yeah, it might be a plea, but that's not the main thing he was talking about. It's not the main thing he was talking about here. He's talking about basic spiritual principles of this world. That's what he's talking about. It is called spiritual principle because they are motivated by demons. It is the God of this world. The principles of this world is motivated by the spirit that controls this world. He called it spiritual principles. It's not God's principle. In 1 John 5.19, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. So when Paul talks of basic spiritual principles of this world, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He's not referring to the activity of the kingdom of God. My kingdom is not of this world. And we too are not of this world. He's talking about the world system of doing things motivated by their, by their father. And our Lord Jesus in John 14, 13 says, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh. Prince of this world, the governor of this world, the god of this world, the ruler of the world system. That's why you don't follow, copy the fashions of this world. Because it's coming from demonic motivations. And when you begin to uh, uh, accept the platform of demons, you are simply giving them permission into your life, and they will gladly oblige you quickly, just that quickly. A lot of people, things are happening in their life, they can't, they, they don't know where. But if you check, you find that the Bible says, don't give room to the devil, which means you made a room somewhere. So, <clears throat> these spiritual principles. It's what Paul is talking about that the false teachers are really, really executing. All these people are pre pre preaching laws. He said they are operating the same principle that the world operates by, and it's not the principle that operates in the kingdom of God. And you know, he wrote to Colossians about these same principles of the world. He used the same word, principles, spiritual principles. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, from the spiritual powers of this world, spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. Can you put King James Version if you have it? Let me see what it says in King James Version. There. If you have King James Version. Sorry about that. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, if vain deceit, 
after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, the way the world operates, not after Christ. See, it's the same one is giving them warning about this thing he's talking about. That there is the rudimentary things is the way things happen of the world. And Jesus said, the prince of this world has nothing in me. I don't have anything with him. I don't have anything to do with him. Then Paul says that the world system of inheritance, listen to this, is interesting. The world system of inheritance is when a father has a child, that is the father that determines when this child will receive the inheritance. That's what they talked about. He said the rudiment, the way the world operates, is that the father determines when the fa- when this child will be of age. In some countries they have thirty years. Some countries they have, you know different different things. Say, but it's the father that determines. He said, and until he comes to that age, he won't have that inheritance. But he said, in the kingdom of God is different. He said, in the kingdom of God. The moment you are born again, you don't have to wait for anything. The inheritance is right away. Yes. That's what he said. He said, in the kingdom in the world, you have a father who determines when you grow. He said, no. In the kingdom of God, it's not like that. That the moment you come to Christ, you receive righteousness, you receive all the inheritance of God, all the blessings of God are yours. That the kingdom of God operates totally differently from the kingdom of the world. That's what he's saying there. Look at verse. Let me read it again. Let me go and read it again. Galatians 4.1. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better than, of than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us. It's not that way with us in Christ. That way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. We were following the basic principles of the world. We were following them. But in the kingdom of God, it's a different principle. And look at what he now said in verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son. Born of a woman, subjected the law, because until he went to the cross, he was still under the Old Testament. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children now, God has sent the spirit of his son into our house, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. So you see, this is how our father now acts. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Everything is yours. You don't have to wait. Everything is yours. You don't have to wait like they do in the world. And the father, the father in the world will sit this and say, you are a baby. You don't know. In the kingdom of God, if you are born, if you are born in the kingdom of God today, it says, God made you a heir. Everything is yours. All the blessings belong to you. A marvelous revelation, people. When it came to my spirit, I'm like, wow, this is true. Absolutely true. Let 
But let me warn here that because we are blessed freely doesn't mean that we, that excuses us by being from being led of the Spirit of God. We must, we're called to be led of the Spirit of God. We are called to be led of the Spirit of God. Not, the Lord can make us righteous, but we now walk in the Spirit where we depend on the power of Christ. In the wisdom that Christ provides, we depend on it 24-7. So we didn't, we didn't, God didn't take away the law and leave us to be laissez-faire human beings. No. In Galatians 5.13, for you have been called to live in freedom. That's from the law, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature and say, there's no more law, I can do what I like. No. That's what they say. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Let love control you. When we are led of the Spirit of God, we are being controlled by the love of God. We are being controlled by the nature of God. Verse 14. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, 15. But if you are always biting, devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. See, if you are not walking in love, you are going to ruin yourself, ruin everything. And in verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So you see, we are no more under the law, but we're under the guidance of the Spirit of God. We are controlled by the love of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, either way, Christ's love controls us now. Since we believe that Christ died in, for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. 15, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. I think this is a higher level of life than the one under the law. Where we have the life of Christ controlling us, where Christ is living through us, guiding us, giving us wisdom in everything we do. So, but another point that Paul raised about this, this practice, these this ways of doing things before Christ came. And he was, look at what he was talking about in verse 8. This is interesting. He said, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? He uses the same word. Spiritual principles of this world, motivated by demons, because the world system is motivated by demons. Spiritual principles of this world. You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or moons, or seasons, or years. Because in the world system, there is no free lunch. Believe you me, most Christians don't believe in Greece. Many don't. Because they, want, they prefer the world system. He said, you are trying to earn favor with God. Can we earn favor? Trying to earn favor... With God by observing certain days or moons or seasons or years. Is it not what majority still do? 
starve themselves to the unfavor with God. They do this, and if there's a problem, they try to live holy, you know, in that period of time to earn divine favor. That's why nothing works, because you can't, you can't add it. Paul said that's the principle in the world. That's how the world operates. The world operates by the world system. Scratch my back, I scratch your back. He said that's the way the world, because they don't have love. That's their main way of operating. And it is in every system, our works, our working jobs, it is reward system. You do this, I give you this. You do this, I give you this. You do this, I give you this. That's the world system. Verse 11, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles now, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Look at John 5, 42. But I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. The world does not have God in them. The spirit behind them is Jesus have nothing to do with that spirit. So because they don't have God in them, they don't have the love of God. So their system is a system of that lacks that mercy and compassion is not the primary thing. It's not the primary way they do things. And so, they operate in a, a trade by butter system. I'm not telling you. And they, and they tell us now, they say, there's no free lunch. They say, good, nothing goes for nothing. And it's true. Absolutely. That's the way the world, of, that's what I call it, the spiritual principle of this world. Is based on vengeance, getting even. Do you know if you tell people that you forgive, if you tell people, I think one woman said they forgave the, the husband who cheated on her. They descend all the Twitter, everything they said under her that it was stupid, it was foolish, it was this. The, the system of the world is totally different. Mercy, forgiveness. See how they see grace. 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually designed. So when you talk of in the system, in God's system, God gives free. It's called mercy. It's foolishness to the world. So we tell people that if you believe in Christ Jesus, just believe. Your sins are washed away. We've paid for it now. Just believe. They think in their mind. Let me explain something. Please, listen to me now. Do you know that you'll be talking to somebody, I mean one-on-one, -on -one, and the person is saying, yeah, that's true. In his mind, you may not believe it, but in his mind, he's believing something else. It happens, he's believing something that has become a stronghold in their mind. Chuka brought something. We were trying to change battery here. Our, our, our door, the battery. So in my mind, when I saw this key, I said, ah, the kind of battery must be the, a, 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 the smallest type. So I sat in the office and Chuka brought a battery. He said, Pastor, this is the battery. I had it in my mind. It was the big one. But as, even if as I was looking at it, in my mind, I still was seeing something different. I was seeing that little one that I thought it should be. 
So I was saying to you, I said, oh, maybe my, my clock has this small one. And if I left there, I would have bought the small one. I would have still gone to, I had this battery in my hand, not in my hand. So, and, and I said, maybe my, my clock, they use this small, small battery. So he turned, he said, Pastor, no, what I mean is this type, this, look at it. That was when it dawned on me. It, that was when it dawned on me that that thing uses the bigger battery, not the small one. If he didn't turn that clock and I went to buy a battery for this key, I would have bought that small one. I told him, I said, do you know this happens in people a lot? You are talking to somebody. Say, yeah, yeah pastor, that's true. But in, at the background, the, there is this thing that is, the, the, something that is entrenched there. The thing he sees, the thing he believes, he's believed it for a while. The picture remains there. Everything you are saying, he's not hearing. So when we have this world system entrenched in us, and we're talking about grace and mercy, yeah, we sing and dance, but at the back of our mind, like I was seeing the small battery, even though I had the big one in my hand, we still think that God's system is the world system of trade by butter. First Corinthians 1.18 For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Because <laughs> it's not Paul said the elemental principles of this world. It's different. But unto us which are saved. It is the power of God. You know, Jesus teaches the same principles in Matthew 9:10. Later, Jesus is teaching the principles of the kingdom that it is not based on butter business. It is based on love. The kingdom of God runs on love. The love of God. For God is love. In the kingdom of God, there is no principle of life that is higher than love. For God is love. So nothing higher than love. So look at what Jesus was teaching. Matthew 19, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he quoted Hosea 6 6 for them. Typical of him. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy and not sacrifice. That's Hosea, Hosea 6 verse 6 he quoted. Just like when the John the Baptist came to say, I do hear that comment, he quoted Isaiah. So go and tell him the blind is seen. That's what Isaiah says, the son of the Messiah. He just quoted scripture. He didn't, no agreement, nothing. Because he said, The word testifies about. My father testifies about. Typical of him. He will quote scripture. And the Holy Spirit will lead you to scripture. I keep telling people, be, beware of these people who say the Spirit of God is leading me, who have no respect for scripture. This is our Lord. Hosea 6. 6. Hosea 6 says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. That's what he quoted. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. I don't need those who think they are righteous. But those who know they are sinners. 
in Jeremiah 9.24. But those who wish to boast about should boast in this alone, that they truly know me. God said, listen, you want to know me? This is who I am. They truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love. That's number one. And who brings justice and righteousness to earth. Righteousness is available. Jesus said, I'm going to my Father because righteousness is now available. To the eighth, and that, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. So love is the main thing in the kingdom, the main principle through which we operate. Love. The Bible said the greatest is love. It's greater than faith. It's greater than hope. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, you can read 1 Corinthians 13, 2 on your own from verse 1 to 3. So you see how the Holy Spirit says that you can have faith to do whatever miracles, but if it's not love, it's nothing. Let's just take one verse here. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understand all the God's secret plans and possess all knowledge, and if I, can, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. That places it above miracles, above everything else. Paul is saying in the kingdom, love is first. Grace, and love manifests through grace, through mercy. For God so loved the world, he gave us his son while we were yet sinners. And the love of God is not merited. It's not merited. It's never merited. Romans 13, 8. No, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. You will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandment says, the commandment says you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment alone. Love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. Love does, does no wrong to others. So it just, it's not just emotional something. Let me tell you something. Love is it's not what you have to do. Love is what you want to do. It, it's some, it's, you want to do it. If it's something you have to do, then you are being forced. Love, God was not forced to give us his son. The Bible says he gave him great pleasure to do this. Love is what you want to do. We were defining, taking love and making it a philosophy. No, love is what you have to do. God makes you willing. I keep saying this. It's God. He's saying the day of my power, my people shall be willing. Love is what you want to do. You can start off fighting with it, end up doing it and, and loving. That's why it's humanly impossible. It's totally humanly impossible to live the love of God. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirement of God's love. Faith John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's our identity. There's no place, the Bible says, if you, the, the more you pray, the more it shows you're a disciple of Jesus. No. Anyone who does not love, because God is love. Jesus said, that's how they know you're my disciples, when you live my life. When you live, you love people like I love you. The love of God, unmerited. So God is with us in, in mercy. 
in his kingdom. Micah 7, 18. And I want Christians to really understand this. If you know this, the devil will stop robbing you of everything God gives you. Because if you don't understand this, he will, he will take your conviction away from the love of God and put it on something else. And once it's on something else, fear comes. You know, the, the early church said, we have come to know the love of God. We have put our faith in it. We have put our faith in it. Jesus said, the father loved the son and shows him everything. Micah 7, 18. Who is, who is a God like thee unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighted in mercy. 19. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. He's talking about Jesus. And the plan of God for us. 20. Thou will perform the truth to Jacob, the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old, that righteousness will come by faith. The blessing of those who believe like faithful Abraham is divine righteousness. And that opens you up to other, other blessings of God. So he said, he said, and then in Psalm 1038, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve unmerited love. That's the principle of God's kingdom. And that's the principle that Jesus brought to establish divine kingdom, teaching us the principles of the kingdom of God. So in Luke chapter 4, 19, to proclaim here the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the year when salvation and the free favor, free favors of God profusely abound. You can find that it's quoting Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. So God's system operates by mercy and grace. Look at his, his throne, Hebrew 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we obtain mercy. That's how you are pressed through mercy. See, blind Bartimaeus said, have mercy. Everybody that appealed to divine mercy got attention. Everybody. But the world system lacks this love now. Like we read in John 5, 42. But I know you, that you have not the love of God in you, because God is not in that. So Paul was making the point that we do not need to earn God's love. You don't need to earn righteousness. You don't need to. That's a gift of love. And that's how it operates in the kingdom of God. Whereas in the kingdom of the world, elemental principles of this world, they operate by butter. You have to pay for it. He said, don't bring it into the kingdom of God. It doesn't. God so loved the world. He decided to do these things. Salvation is, is not human idea. It is God's own idea. Look at Romans 5 from verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we just received it. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. That's why we have peace with God. 
because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So the good news now, when you hear the good news, it brings you joy, it brings you expectation. It brings you really excitement, you know. The good news is good news. Good news is good news. Deliverance from sin, deliverance from Satan, blessed by God, made hair of God and everything. Man, good news is good news. Have you ever, you didn't have money and you somehow stumble across money you kept somewhere you didn't know. And then you looked at it, you're like, is this, this is a miracle right here. I mean, the joy you have for $100, I'm not talking about, just 100 though, because you were so dry, you had nothing. But you didn't know this money was stuck somewhere. You just accidentally found it. That $100, the value you have and the joy, man, you are just so excited. Think of being the heir of God. Somebody say, what manner of love is this that I wear sons of God? Think of what God has given us free. Freely you have received. Freely I give you. True faith in Christ Jesus. Think of it, people. It should excite you. So when Paul preached it to them, they were so excited. They were so happy. They saw it. They believed it. People who were sick saw were out. People who were bound by all manner of things, pornography, masturbation, they saw a way out. There was joy. They saw forgiveness. They were so excited. But when they went back to the law, they lost all that joy because the joy the law does not give you all these things. They were sitting under divine judgment. They say, because we are sinned, we are going to perish. They were still working hard for divine favor. So they lost the joy of their salvation. They lost it. Let, let me tell you something. If you are walking in the flesh, and that's why it's important that you train yourself to develop your faith. Because as long as you're walking by sight, by flesh, but anything that's not the word of God. You're walking in the realm of fear, defeat, doubt, unbelief. Defeat, total defeat. But if you walk in the realm of faith, you're walking in the realm of the spirit. Because you are trusting what the arm of the Lord is doing, what he has said. You find that you're walking in the realm of victory. Realm of, there's no way you have faith and you, you trust God and you have expectation that you will have joy. You lose joy when there is no more expectation. But when you walk in the light and you, your eyes open to what God has done, which you are standing on, man, the joy you have is the realm of joy. It's the realm of victory. It's the realm where there's no fear. Faith and fear do not coexist. So that's what happened to these people verse 13. Surely, you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. 14, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I was an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful, grateful spirit you felt then? You lost it. It's gone. The joy is gone. The light of the gospel, the good news is gone. You're not seeing it again. All you're seeing is your sin. Oh, this world is full of iniquity. Hey, what we are Let me tell us the good news, sir. I just read about Asbury, Asbury Chapel in one college, Christian College in Kentucky. They started chapel service 
two weeks ago. The service has not ended. It's still going on. People are coming from all over the world. Youth from all over the world, all over America. It's still going. It has not stopped. Just chapel service to worship and hear a preacher. The service is still non-stop. And people are flying from Korea. Korea as well. All over the world and trooping to, and they're still going. Tell me God is not doing something. Man, the glory of God has filled this world. The devil doesn't own it. The, the earth is the loss and the fullness there. When you focus on what God is doing, your heart is bound to be full of joy, full of excitement. And you talk good news. Stop giving people bad news. Where is that joyful, grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes, given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy? <laughs> because I'm telling you the truth. And these four teachers know how to manipulate people. They'll be so nice to you, visit you, sister, sister. They buy you. These is demonic manipulations. Look at, look at verse, verse uh, 17. Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. 18. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time. Not when I'm around. They start visiting you, sister, brother. And Paul talked about how this thing has created a major problem for him. Because it's like he, ha he has to start this work again. Look, if you are pastored, if you taught the word, you will understand what when Paul is talking about traveling. It, these things take you, it take a lot from you. I'm telling you, if you really want to do this work, it, it, takes, it takes a lot from you. Verse 19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. If you pastor, if you taught people, it breaks your heart when you see, when you see people doing things that destroy lives. It, it really breaks your heart. You know, you, 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 you grieve. You really grieve. And when people, it's like they're not growing and you've, you've been teaching for a long time and they start talking, they're talking like babes. Talking, it, it, it's so discouraging. It really, I understand what he's talking about. He said, I have to start again. I'm going to go through this process again. Praying, studying, teaching. Because preaching and teaching is spiritual engagement. You engage demonic spirits who don't want people to hear. So you engage them in, when you are alone with God in prayer and things like that. And they're studying the word and standing in faith and declaring the word of God. It's, it's a very tough job, I'm telling you. It's a very tough job. It, it, it robs you of so many things that people do. Your social life is disrupted. Your connection to family is disrupted. It's like God, God has taken hold of you and not releasing you. People would understand you. They expect you to be here and to be there, but you're not free to go. They won't understand it. 
And who, is, who, 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 when people are not growing, it, it pays you. Because you really want them to, you want, it's like you want them to mean, you, you want to see people grow and to know Christ and to be strong and to be people that God is using, preaching the gospel. You want to release them. Paul said, I have to start again. I'm going to go through this pain again. Then Paul did something very interesting. He began to illustrate, in order to buttress his point, that the blessing of righteousness comes to us only by promise that God made Abraham. And he said that all nations will be blessed through you. And then you need to see, we're not going to see, you're going to see what that blessing is again. That that blessing is that God counted him righteous. God counted him righteous. So that those who now believe in Christ will also be counted righteous like God counted Abraham righteous when he believed in God. God counted him righteous just by faith. The Bible said Abraham believed God and was counted for righteousness for him. And in Romans he said this was not written for him, it was written for us too. So in verse 21, Paul began to do an allegory. Allegory is poem or story or something you use to illustrate a hidden fact in something. Something that's not too obvious. You use this thing to illustrate to bring it up. So using an allegory here and comparison to bring out for us to see clearly why we should not depend on the law, but depend on what Christ did for righteousness. So in verse 21, tell me, you who want to live under the law, who know what the law actually says? 22. The scripture says that Abraham had two sons. So he's using two sons of Abraham to illustrate this thing. Two sons, one from his slave wife, one from his freeborn wife. One from his slave wife, one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment, God's, fulfillment of God's promise. Just like God has promised righteousness by faith in Christ, some people want to bring it about by their human effort, by obeying the law. So, 23, the son of the slave, the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where the Israel went and received the law. And they say, if you don't do this, of course, we'll be say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mount Sinai, where people received the law, that's enslaved them. You see, the law does not give freedom. Enslaved them. Because the strength of sin is the law. Enslaved them. 25, and now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. They took this law they couldn't obey, and they say, yeah, cause will be on them if they do this. Now they are failing it, they are not obeying it. They are in trouble. The law has them here, here. So Paul is saying that 
all those people who want to live by the law, they want to bring about what, only, what God is offering mankind only by his promise. Remember, we talked about the purpose of the law was to show us what sin is. And so in seeing it, we now want to be saved. Now, Paul is saying that the law was not given to make us righteous. You can be righteous if you obey all of it, but nobody has. But the point he's making is that now that God, seeing that the law could not make us righteous, now made a new and living way by faith in Christ. He said, how come that God made a promise that we should be counted righteous by faith in Christ? And here, some people think that that promise is not good enough. So they want to achieve what only comes by promise. That's what Hagar and Abraham did. God promised Isaac. And they thought that God was too long in coming. And they, so they planned to use human, human effort and human wisdom to produce Ishmael. He said, that's exactly what people are doing when they want to walk by the law. They want to produce Ishmael. Because law is what you do. It's what you figure out, okay, I have to do it this way. But that's what God promised Abraham. He said, but those of us who walk by faith are like Isaac, that were products of divine power that God fulfilled by, because when, 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 when Abraham had Isaac. It was impossible humanly to have a child. So the Bible is saying it's impossible humanly to be righteous. So God gave it to us by promise only. So now people trying to be righteous by their works and things like that are like Hagar and Abraham producing Ishmael. But those who trust in the promise of God, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, are like Sarah and Abraham producing Isaac, the child of promise, the child that came by the power of God, that came by intervention of heaven in fulfillment of divine promise. Righteousness is given to us in fulfillment of divine promise. Indeed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That's a promise. To those who believe like him, it's a promise. And it can only happen just like Isaac came when we trust. Abraham believed God. I was counted to him as righteousness, and as he came. And that's the way we believe. We believe in Christ, righteousness comes. That's what he's trying to compare here. In Romans 3.20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Did we see that? So it's an impossible route. Just like Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a child at that age naturally. So it's not possible. It's not possible. So the scheme to bring in Hagar. So anybody who is trying to walk by the law is bringing in another Hagar. And all we produce is Ishmael. And Ishmael is not the line of promise. God didn't call himself the God of Abraham and Ishmael. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, the covenant continued through them. You can't walk in the covenant of God when you are producing Ishmael. It won't work. So in verse 26, but the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she's our mother. <laughs> Glory. Because if we are sons of Abraham, then Sarah is our mother. 27, as Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into joyful shout, 
you, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. This is amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> it's amazing, man. Paul is saying, look, that we are, we are children of Sarah. That we, those of us who depend on the promise, like Sarah had the baby by promise, that we are all children of Sarah. How? Because the Bible says we are sons of God if we have faith in Christ. He said, we are the real children of Abraham. And then what Paul is saying, he said, look at this now. That now, Sarah, who didn't have natural ability to have a baby, who was too old to have a baby, he said, look at her now. She has more children than any woman can naturally produce. Why? Because hers were by the power of God. The other one was the power of men. He says, so now, the barren woman has more children than anybody can naturally produce. And look at it. The Bible said to Abraham, come and look at the stars. You can't count your children. And that's what Sarah has. Because if we are children of Abraham, we are children of Sarah. So Paul is saying, if it is by the Spirit, it produces more and better stuff than what you can achieve with your hand. Rejoice, childless woman. You who have never given back, break into joy. Shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. Ishmael, Hagar, Abraham. They didn't, all they produced is Ishmael and few people. But what God produced through this promise that God made it's like stars. It's like the stars. Paul is saying it's better to depend on the promise, depend on the hand of God to fulfill the promise than you trying to connive and produce it by your own energy, obeying the law and everything. No. And he said, you see, that this Sarah represents Jerusalem that is from heaven. Because he said, this is the power of God from heaven. It's not earthly wisdom. It's not anything from this earth. This promise is God that made it, and it's God that performs it. So it's not this earthly thing. So it represents heavenly Jerusalem. And we are from heaven. You are born of God. We are from God. When we come to Christ and we are born again, we are product of promise. We are born by the Spirit of God, like Isaac was born by the power of the Spirit. We are born by the Spirit of God. We are products of divine promise. We are, our salvation is not by human work. That's what Paul is saying. Our salvation, our righteousness we receive is not by human work. No, we are born of the Spirit. We are from heaven. We are not of this world. We are from heavenly Jerusalem. Our mother is Sarah. Because we are also children of Abraham. As Abraham believed, so we believed in Christ and we received new life. We came from heaven. Philippians 2, 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven. It says, Galatia, Galatia 4.26. But the other woman said, I represent heavenly Jerusalem. <laughs> we came from heaven. We are not product of human effort. We are not product of Hagar and Conan. No, no, no. The Lord has no business in my salvation. My salvation is purely on grace. Received by faith. In fulfillment of promise. By God who never felt. Genesis 15, 4. 
Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son and your own a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. That's what Paul is saying. He said, Sarah now has children like stars being an act of the Spirit. Being what God promised. That God can do more things than any natural woman having children by natural birth can produce. So your law, the law can produce little for you. But if it's of the spirit, it's go beyond your ability. Verse 28. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. Yeah. Yeah, that's who we are. Born of the spirit. We are not born by human, by human will. No. Born of the spirit. Simply by faith in Christ Jesus. Look at that. Let me talk about this promise before I close. Let's go to chapter 3 of Galatians verses. In the same way, Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. That is Genesis 15, 6. Now go to verse 7. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What is more, the scripture looked forward to this time when God will declare the righteous to be right, declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. That's Genesis 12:3. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. What blessing did Abraham receive? Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous. That's the blessing. And when we came to Christ, we received the gift of righteousness. That's the blessing. That's the promise. Those who believe in Christ receive the same blessing. You can't be counted righteous by the law. So we are Christians. We who are Christians are born into the family of God. Not by human will or human effort, but by the will of God and the act of the Holy Spirit. Look at John 3. Says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. John 1, 12. But as many as receive him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so I want to close with uh, verse 29 to 30. Let me just finish it. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born of power of the spirit. In, in Galatia 5.11, dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say, why am I still persecuted? So you say, if you preach the gospel, you'll be persecuted by demons. They will arouse persecution against you. Make your life, they will try to make your life miserable all over the place because they want you to stop. Now, in verse 30 to 31, but what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we, do, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. It says, anything coming out of this connivance to produce divine promise by human beings, we never inherit that promise. So, get rid of that Ishmael thing. Get, get, get rid of Ishmael. That you won't get into this promise of God. Healing, prosper, any promise of God, you won't get it. 
you won't get it. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. We are children of, like Isaac, we are the free woman's son. Sarah, we are the ones to whom the inheritance belongs. We are the sons of God. We are received the inheritance the moment we are born again. There's no father saying until you are eight, eight. no, no, no. We have received it. But those who want to come by their works, the Bible says, get rid of that Ishmael, my friend. You will not inherit the blessing of God. You won't get that righteousness. It's not coming. It is impossible to be righteous on your own. It's a gift of God. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you and give you praise and glory for what you shared with us. We believe and we know that you cause this world to grow in the heart of the hearers. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.